Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. And we're Hey, today we have a, another special guest on, on the line. Somebody's been in archery for a little while, and we're going to find out uh, what it's all about for him. Hi, my name is Roy Canterbury. I'm your host today on Arch Talk 101, and we have Caleb Tucker on the line with us, and we're going to find out his exciting story in archery. Welcome to the show, Caleb. Thanks, Roy. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, introduce yourself and tell us a little something about you. Uh, yeah, I'm Caleb Tucker, and uh, I've been doing competitive archery since 2020. Um, first time I ever shot a bow was when I was like 12 or 13. And then, um, just did a couple random, uh, like local 3d shoots. That was, um, pretty much the extent of it. And then that was in high school, I think 10th grade. And then just deer hunted with a bow forever. And then back in 2020, it was right before the pandemic happened. I actually <laughs> yeah. took the same, I actually took the same bow that I had when I was 13, which was a Matthews LX. Actually, it's in that closet right there. Um, and I took it to a, an indoor league that was like 20 minutes away. And uh, I got pretty hooked. And I've always been competitive. And I was like, I need to, uh, I need to, I need to get a new bow and I need to take this a little bit more seriously. And um, yeah, I just started doing some indoor stuff in 2020. And then obviously that kind of, you know, um, got, canceled because of the whole pandemic and then uh right. 2021 i i started doing um some asa 3d some ibo 3d and then uh i ended up upgrading to uh a target bow and then from there it's just that's uh been an obsession i guess to say the least so yeah now what was it that originally got started you started in archery um picture interest well i i had been a deer hunter and my dad you know brought me up deer hunting and fishing and just being outside in the outdoors and i had a friend who uh he was into archery at that time we were the same age and in, in uh school and he was like why don't you come to this 3d shoot i was like i don't even have a bow so um i bought this really cheap pse bow not saying that they're bad bows i just <laughs> At that time, it was pretty cheap, and uh, I just got, I I, I want to say I got hooked, but I got out of that whole scene, and I just hunted for, you know, 15 years, and then um, for whatever reason, I saw that there was an indoor league starting, and that's, I, I just so competitive, I just said, ah, I'm going to try that, and, um, but yeah, I, I originally um originally got started because of a friend and uh funny because he doesn't do it anymore and i do which <laughs> which is kind of you know seems like that's the way it goes you get somebody get started and they get hooked and you lose interest and now you're yeah. not doing it and they're taking off doing great things with it and, yeah uh, it's just one of those things yeah for sure for sure yeah you'll have to get him out and challenge him <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I would for sure. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that he would at this point, but, um, maybe so. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. That's, 
that's kind of interesting. I always like to hear different stories, you know, how somebody got started and, you know, yeah. their, their, their journey and, you know, every, everybody's got a different story and it just, it's so, so neat to listen to all these different stories of how somebody got started and why they got started and what they're doing now. And, and yeah. you know, you're competing in archery and you started off and, you know, hunting and now you're, you're competing and you just do indoor target. You do 3d competitions or. Uh, so I do, I do pretty much, um, I want to say everything, but not everything I do. Uh, I do ASA 3d IBO 3d IBO field. And then, um, like, uh, NFA, you know, Vegas and five spot rounds, uh, indoors. Um, I haven't quite done any of the 50 meter, you know, FIDA field type yeah. stuff yet, but I want to, I just haven't, there's not a ton of it around here in new England. So, um, but there's plenty of 3d. So that's primarily what I do. And then, um, like right now I have no more 3d and, uh, indoor starts up somewhere around December, excuse me, for me anyways. Um, and I'll be getting ready for like Lancaster and whatnot. So. Um, Thanks. That's, that's not too far away from you. Yeah, it's six and a half hours for me to get there. Oh, that, that's not bad. Yeah, not not horrible. But uh, the <laughs> traveling that I did this year was a little crazy for all the, uh, you know, I, I traveled the uh, IBO National um, Triple Crown, and that was that was a lot. I did, you know, uh, Pipes in West Virginia, Nelsonville, Ohio, Franklin, PA, and then um, back to West Virginia for Worlds for IBO. So. That was a lot of travel. So yeah, yeah, a lot of traveling, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it for sure. Uh, wouldn't do it if I I wouldn't be traveling that far if I didn't for sure. Yeah, yeah. one of the things you're not going to travel if you don't enjoy doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's been um uh, in in your hunting? What's been the most challenging hunt that you were on? Ooh. Uh, well, I, I shoot a lot of the animals that I take are with my bow. Uh, not to say that I don't, you know, shoot deer or bear with a rifle, but, um, primarily it's with a bow. And over the years I've kind of, I don't know how to say it other than I, I almost as like a extra challenge, but I, I really kind of focused on hunting from the ground and not tree stand, not ground blind hunting, like just, um, you know, shading myself in with, uh, the surroundings. So I've killed a lot of my deer and bear from the ground with a bow, which has been, I guess they're all challenging, but yeah. probably the most was a black bear that I killed, um, about five years ago. And it was about 15 yards. And that was, um, I was just sitting in a blowdown and just, uh, on a beach ridge and, he came through eating and, but that was, that was challenging, uh, just being still, you know, cause they're, um, you know, they can hear so well, they can smell so well, you know, uh, at, with the wind, everything kind of, there's a lot of aspects to that, but that was probably my most challenging for sure. And I haven't yeah. kind of, <laughs> I haven't branched out to do any like elk hunting or anything I want to, but time. I will. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah that, that sounds like that would be a challenge to be on the ground 
you know, bear yeah. hunting and you have no protection. At least if you're in a tree, you have a little bit of chance, but yeah. on the ground, you have no chance. So I can say that would be really challenging to, you know, be still enough to not be noticed by the bear and then have, you know, have enough nerves to be able to, to be on the ground with them. And yeah, it's, I guess really the, the honest reason why I started doing that was um, most of the places that I hunt are so far back in. I try to, you know, get away from the road and I mean, I'm in Vermont, so most of it is mountains anyways, but um, if I'm not in the mountains, I just try to get as far back as I can to get away from other hunters. And uh, it just became too hard to try to carry a tree stand. And even if it was a climbing tree stand and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm making too much noise and, um, spending too much time trying to find the right tree. And one day I just kind of went in and I was like, I'm going to back myself up against this blowdown and I'm going to hunt here. And that's kind of how it started. I ended up killing a few deer like that. And I'm like, this is much harder, but way easier in terms of finding the right spot to, you know, um, ambush, I guess you could say. So. It, it's, it's easier. In fact, you don't have to carry those big old heavy tree stands in. Uh, and, yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, if you got a climber, then you have to have that perfect tree with no branches on it. And for sure, carrying a hang on, you got to carry the pegs and those all get noise and those are hard to put in some of your trees. And, you know, for sure. you make yeah. candles, it makes them easier to turn in. But I used to, when I was setting up trees, I used to take a little portable drill and, and, and pre-drill the hole so I could get the pegs in. So that was yeah. just working and working and, you know, don't ever try and get in a locust tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are like trying to drill in iron i'm sure <laughs> they yeah. are they are a hard tree and a lot of stickers all over them too they got these little long needles on them and yep. yeah yeah those are hard trees to get in those you can yeah. push ladder stand till in there and, and ladder mm -hmm. stands they're so heavy to carry in and big and awkward and they're hard to set up by yourself you yeah know, so i i can see uh you know hot on the ground when you're back that far sure makes it a lot easier it does. It just, you know, obviously raises, you know, uh, more, I don't know what I want to use for a word, but concerns just in terms of like wind, you know, and being seen by the animal. But I just always, I've been really, I don't know if you want to call it luck, but probably a little bit uh, lucky in being successful that way. But, um, you know, the less disturbance you're going to make the better off you're going to be anyways. So that's why I kind yeah. of do that. It's been, it's been pretty cool and successful at it. So. Well, then walking in, if you don't sound like a human walking in, you yeah. know, sometimes you can walk right up on them. I, I was listening to a story, a guy that he said, you know, he walked in, he, he was getting older. And so he didn't walk, you know, real fast and he couldn't see very well. So he'd take a few steps, stop and look and listen. A mm -hmm. few more steps, stop, look and listen. You know, and when you listen to a squirrel, what do they do? They, they run and scurry and stop. Yeah. Run and scurry yeah. and stop. You, yeah. you know, so you're you're not even taking a human with that cadence going in, you know, step, 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 step. And, and you know, I've done some of the spot and stock. And I one time I seen this deer laying down right next to the, this road is on a farmer's lid. So it's just a road for him driving in tractors. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that, that's cool. So I want to see how close I can get to it. So I took off my boots. I just got my socks on because boots make too much noise. Absolutely. And I walked up quietly. Then I got down. I'm I'm crawling, and then I get a belly crawling, and and you know I got my compound with me, and and, and I get 
there's a little bitty brush that sticks up all about a, a foot or two and and I'm behind it and the deer is like five feet away from me mm-hmm. and I was like what do I do now yeah <laughs> I can't sit up and draw <laughs> right right you know I need a crossbow to shoot it it's like mm-hmm. um okay so I just kind of stayed every while and just kind of backed out and <laughs> yeah you know, I was able to get that close to it and it didn't you know it didn't spook off because I went in slow and didn't make a lot of noise and yeah I'd have probably done a little differently now, but, <laughs> I, but that was that I was did. interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I I got busted one time um, by a duck. Well, it's a spot that I've killed actually a ton of deer and bear. But I, where I went in and I sat, I was sitting behind these two big oak trees, and um, there was like a you know, kind of the why in between. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. And there's runways coming in. There was no wind. So I was like, this is, this should work pretty good. And I, I actually, I heard the deer coming in and I'm like, okay, perfect. Here we go. The deer came out in front of me and it walked. I saw it coming. I was like, okay, that's a buck. And um, unbeknownst to me, there was a doe and another buck with him, but the doe came in from behind me and I had drawn and I was pulling out to go across, you know, the backside of the tree, um, to shoot. It was a five pointer and I heard something to my left and I turned and there's this giant buck and I'm only like, I'm within 20 yards of all of them. I didn't see the doe behind me and she's stomping and I can hear her stomping. And I'm like, this isn't going to be good. And I was at offer. I, it was the longest I've ever been at full draw. And it, it, I wanted to let down, but I was like, if I, if I let down, I'm, I'm smoked anyways. And when I saw the other buck out of the corner of my eye, I was not interested in the five pointer anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> I ended up resting the, the bottom cam on my leg to try to relieve some pressure off of the, you know, I'm holding 80%, but, um, or it's 80% let off, but still it's, that's a lot after, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes. And, yeah. um, I ended up taking a shot at him, but at that point I was, my body was just so smoked and, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't make a good shot and I ended up hitting, um, there was like a, I know everybody says the story, but there was, there was like a whip, probably a little bit smaller than the size of a quarter, um, that I didn't see. And, uh, I didn't have the greatest shot. I was kind of aiming at the front of the neck cause he was staring at me and it hit that and broke the arrow in half and broke the limb and he ran off and I was like, Oh, that sucks. But I killed a buck there five days later in the same exact spot, which was, which was nice, but bigger than the five, but not as big as the giant that I ended up missing. But yeah, it can, that whole, uh, you know, um, ground hunting can really, um, cause some issues when you just don't know what's around you. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, if you'd have been up in a tree stand, then they could have walked in. You could have seen them and, and adjusted. But for sure, their, their level, they're going to see you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was rough, but yeah, yeah. That was exciting. You you, you have deer all the way around you, but you can't really get to any of them. Yeah, yeah. It's happened a lot, really. But um, I say a lot, but probably like you know a half a dozen to a dozen times over the years. But it's enough to enough to know all the stories about them anyways and enough to go why do I do this and then I continue continually <laughs> do it every year I go back out and I do the same thing and but it works so I try not to 
don't, you know, if it works, don't, don't fix it. But. Right. Yeah. It sounds like you have a, a good spot there. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you're still seeing deer. Yeah. Me, I'd keep going back and until, yeah. you, you know, the deer aren't coming there anymore, then find another spot. But yeah, I think I've killed nine. I think I've killed nine whitetail and one bear in that, in that one spot within, you know, within reason, within a, a hundred yards to a couple hundred yards, just in that one spot sitting on the ground for the most part. I think I've killed two out of a tree stand in there. So, but yeah, that that's, that's a pretty good spot when you can have that many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I already know it. So I don't ever, I don't scout it ever. I've just, I know how to hunt it. I know what wind to hunt it on. And uh, I just wait for the right wind and then I go in. So I don't ever have to go in and leave a bunch of scent and potentially spook them. And it's so usually fairly successful on the first couple sits. So I'm going to go in on in that particular area. So. Yeah, when you, when you learn an area that you don't have to do a lot of scouting in it until you learn the area and when they're coming through, uh, you put, you know, put some time in to figure it out and that's what's nice about some of the trail cameras. If you're on private property, you don't have to worry as much about them walking off. But uh, yeah. you know, you can you can do a lot of scouting instead of taking, you know, weeks and months to figure out, hey, they're they're not coming through this time of day, you know, or yeah. they're coming, they're only coming through at night. So until they start coming through in the daytime, you know, that spot's not going to work, and they can right. get them changed to coming through during the day and. You know, a lot of places are just transition places where they're, they're going through, you know, middle of the night, first thing in the morning before it's shooting time. And, right. um, you know, then it's like, well, let's see what we can do about getting them here during the day. <laughs> yeah, that's the nice you part know. about the trail cameras. It does it does help you determine when they're coming through because um, you can be sitting on a really well-beaten path that they have and never see a deer because they're only using it at certain times and you're never there during those times so yeah one, one spot i was got head cameras out last year they they were coming through um nine ten two mm -hmm. three o'clock in the morning and you know there's one spot that's coming through you know like a half hour before sunrise before sun for before shooting time yeah so they're going through before i can even shoot them anyway and yeah. it's like okay uh, finally, uh, you know, in February, I caught some during the day, both the morning and night in one spot that, you know, we like the spot, but there's not a lot of good places to put tree stands up. Right. So <laughs> that might be one of those that we just have to stand on the ground like, like you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because there's no, no place to put a tree stand. Uh, yeah. That's, that's one spot in particular that, um, that I have, I actually went in there, um, right before, this um podcast i went in and i was checking it um this morning and just tr literally trying to find a spot that i could put a tree stand because um it's one of those ones that you kind of have to be in there all day because um of the time that they come through which is usually between that nine and two o'clock range and uh, oh <laughs> you know what i mean so i'm like oh this is an all-day sit spot and uh so but um yeah and i did find a couple a couple trees but it's getting in there with the tree stand is such that's the key part because it's so far back in and it's kind of a pain but we'll see stick it in and leave it in until the end of the season 
I have some tree stands that are in the woods that, that I don't ever plan on taking out because, um, and if somebody steals them, then God bless you, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not <laughs> going back in for them. The only time I go in is to sit in them. So, but I haven't had them stolen yet. So I think we're okay. Yeah, they're probably far enough back that nobody wants to go back that far. <laughs> they're far enough back. I've never seen anybody in there. So hopefully it stays that way because I've been good. I've been successful in that spot for sure. But um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I've, I've noticed that too. You know, if you go further back, lots of times you don't have as much pressure. And, and the deer, when they do have the pressure up close, they're going to venture back a little bit further. And, you know, sometimes that's, that's what you got to go, you know, take that mile walk back in there and yeah you know the mile walk out and yeah you know when you shoot one you kind of i notify where it's at you do the one mile walk out and get your deer cart and walk back and by then you track your deer and you're good <laughs> yeah yep i've never actually used the deer cart which i probably just because of where i live you know in the mountains but it's uh i usually just uh i carry a rope if i had my my uh, pouch I'd show you but in my uh in my fanny pack that I I because I do a lot of uh, tracking because there's so much snow up here but um I just have this rope and then I'll end up breaking off a, a stick like 12 13 inches long and I'll tie the rope you know and then um to the middle of the stick tie it around the antlers and then hold that behind your back and then just drag on the way out and it's cheaper than buying that really expensive uh cart that I always every time I'm dragging a deer I'm always like why didn't I just buy a sled you know a jet sled or something and leave it somewhere and then I can go and get it but I don't know you really find out what kind of shape you're in when you start dragging a deer or a bear <laughs> <laughs> yeah even yeah. a small deer is is could be a, a challenge yeah for sure yeah <laughs> So um, you've had a lot of challenging hunts. What, what's been probably the most memorable hunt? Uh, boy, there's been a few. Um, um, I would say it would probably, it probably have to be, uh, there's two bucks that are coming in my mind that I'm thinking of in particular, and then a bear hunt that I went on with my dad up in Maine. And, um, uh, that was fun. It was a giant bear that, that he ended up shooting, but, um, and it was actually, we, it was a, we trapped it. It wasn't, you know, legally, but, um, so that was fun. Just trying to, um, you know, locate big bear and, tr you know, you're trying to find an area where there's a big bear that you're not going to get a little bore on, you know, um, that was fun. But, but the two bucks that I'm thinking of in particular, I both tracked and it was with a rifle and, um, just the amount of miles that I went with one of them. I, I picked up the track. We had just had a bunch of snow the night before I picked up the track in the morning, um, like right off in the morning. And I jumped him out of his bed 20 or 30 minutes later. And I shot him on the run didn't make the greatest shot, but obviously when they're running and, um, I tracked him the rest of the day, he kept betting down and I ended up, um, taking a chance that a lot of deer trackers will say like, don't do, but just the way I've tracked enough deer at this point, And I, what he was doing 
it just made sense for me to um to kind of like hopefully cut him off and uh, i just figured i'm gonna try to cut him off the wind is not in my favor at this spot i i feel like he's bedded over in here and uh if i come up you know around this side it just looked like he was bedded in this area and i i walked a couple hundred yards off where he was you know and i had lost blood at that point but i could still get his track in the snow so i just figured worst case scenario I'd just go back and hit the track again and um when i came up over the top of this ridge i just went really slow and i looked down and it was like in the side of this bowl and he um he did exactly what he was supposed to do he was bedded and he was looking his backtrack but the wind wasn't right so he just figured because i had jumped him so many times he just he was our he was just bedded looking where i was going to be coming but i had actually came in from the other angle and i saw him in his bed i was like oh my god this worked thank god and uh i shot him out of his bed and and um that was probably the most memorable and just another one i did something very similar but i hadn't uh i hadn't shot the buck yet i had just seen where he was headed and i knew that he was cruising for does in this one area and um i was a few hours behind just from the snow in his track i knew so i just kind of cut off into this little um i guess saddle and i just sat there for a few minutes and i actually i was i knew i was a few hours behind but he had he was coming around like this checking this i guess you could say bottom for does and I heard him grunting and I ended up shooting him and uh, I don't know about a hundred yards away. And that was, that was pretty memorable. That was a, that was a big buck, not rack size. It was a four pointer, but he was like 18 and a half inch spread. So it was a pretty big four, but um, yeah. he was just shy of 190 pounds. That was just one of those times where you put in a ton of work into it and you're so far back in and you've been hunting all, you know, hunting this deer all day. And, and then to finally make it pay off is like, well, you know, those, those two were for sure, probably my most memorable, but. Yeah, that would be uh, uh, something to be able to, you know, outsmart it like that. It's like you bumped him a few times and, and yeah. you, you saw a okay, can go around and look and he come back. It's like, yeah, he's, he's expecting you to show up behind him, you know, where he was and he yeah. didn't show up there. Yeah. And it's just, I've seen that so many times where when I'm tracking, um and i've always wanted to i've always wanted to try this with a bow but i and there's times where i feel like i could have gotten it done but most of the time i'm like nah you really need a rifle to do this but uh there's been so many times where i jump a buck and i'm still on his track and then i ended up jumping him again but i never saw him jump and you could see where he had stopped behind like a little blowdown or a couple uh, you know, like a little spruce tree or something like that. And he would turn, you could see where he turned and he would look and wait for me to see me. And then once he saw me, he would turn and then bust. And um, it was just stuff like that, where I was like, kind of putting it together, especially with that buck I shot out of his bed. I'm thinking, I know I'd seen beds in here before I've been back in here. I feel like he's going to be bedded there. Um, and I know he's going to be looking his backtrack because every other time I've jumped him, he has. So it was just, you know, playing the odds and, and coming in from a different angle. And, that, and it was, I say funny, but it wasn't, you know, it's not funny when you're, you know, killing an animal, but when 
it's funny to see exactly what you planned on happening. And you're, I'm looking at him and he's like in his bed, looking down that backtrack, waiting for me. And I'm like, Oh my God, I outsmarted him. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> but yeah, definitely something to think about when you're, when you're going in and you're tracking them and you bump, bump them up, you know, that they don't yeah. generally run a long ways, you know, no, you really scared them. Just somebody yeah. walk and they're just going to move and, and you bump them a couple of times. And it's like, that's something to think about. You know, if you do that, do bump them a couple of times, you know, move off yeah. your trail, go a different way and, and see if you can go past them. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, but you know, if you're on the snow, you can always go back, but uh, yeah, you know, and go back to that last spot. But some guys, I have a friend who's really into tracking. He doesn't really do a lot of other types of hunting and, and um, he'll basically when he goes into an area he'll go as fast as he can go until he cuts the track and he doesn't care about jumping them and once he does jump them uh he'll wait like 20 minutes because most of the time the deer like you just said they're going to run 100 yards and stop and turn around and wait and wait and wait and when they realize that you're not coming they settle down and then they go back to feeding or whatever they were going to do but that's kind of his motto is like kind of sit down chill out you know, for 20 minutes and then get back on the track and then better, better odds of killing the deer. So a couple of good ideas to, to think about when we're out there and yeah, and you're in an area like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely some, some, something to think about that. That's what's so cool about listening to all the different stories. And I learned yeah. something from everybody I talked to and it's like, here's what's working for you. And 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 that's cool. I mean, you can learn different things and think about things. And yeah, you know, that's that's the thing that's that's really cool about you know talking this stuff is you know, we get to learn. Absolutely. Yep. I feel like every 3D archery tournament I went to this year, especially the national events, I would end up talking to somebody about hunting and and they would be from Iowa or Illinois. Ohio and their form of hunt, their way of hunting is so much different than mine. And then, you know, you're always learning something from somebody, which is nice to just kind of put into your bag, you know, of, uh, of tricks. So, you know, we have forest areas, but you know, we have a lot of areas that just crops and then you might have, you know, the two areas I have, there's, there's, uh, you know, the farmland and then surrounding the, the property line is the row of trees. You know, so you, you're not going to hold them in, in the spots that I'm hunting. Then there's other spots that have just all kinds of trees, you know, yeah. it's like, like perfectly the whole deer and, you know, depends which spot you have. And, you know, so we had to figure out, you got to figure out how we can get them coming out, you know, a little more during the day because yep. they're basically nocturnal because they go, that's pass through area. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we have to get a feeder out, and feed them only during the day and they're in the off season. And <laughs> yeah. So get yeah. used to coming into the daytime. But then you got to pull the feeder so much before hunting season because right. you can't have it out there during when you're hunting. Oh, and... So you can you can feed, but you can't bait per se. Right, right. Yeah. You can't hunt over a feeder or within so many yards of it. I forget what it is now, 100 yards or 200 yards, yeah. something like that. But, you know, it's, you know, salt blocks are always good, but they're there all the time. Right. I know, you know like metal blocks are all the time. <laughs> Yeah. I know Vermont, we're not allowed to do baiting or any of that stuff, but, um, you know, we can do food plots, which, and I'm sure, you know, a fish and wildlife biologist would be able to explain this to me, but it never, I never understood why you can 
have a food plot with corn or soybean or whatever, and it is food, but you can't put, you know, let's just use corn as an example. It's like, okay, I'm going to have this sweet corn patch and I'm going to use it for deer, but you can't put corn in the same exact spot, you know, from like a bag or shelled corn or whatever, just never made a ton of sense to me. It's the same exact thing, but oh, well, they know more than I do. So <laughs> and it could just be too that the people making the rules aren't hunters or wildlife biologists they're politicians and yeah they, i'm sure they that's... think it's it's not fair I'm like yeah well <laughs> yeah i'm sure that's probably comes into play often i would assume but... well and one of the things they were concerned about you know when you had a lot of blue tongue and stuff going around is a feeder goes off and you know all the deer come in at one time Right, because you know, they'll get they'll learn the time it comes up, or they'll hear it go off, and so now they're all coming in, and more chance to spreading it. Where if it's there all the time, now then they just come in whatever their schedule is. Right, and so I I can see you know through a feeder and something like that, um, but you know we just whatever the laws are, each state has their own. Yeah, they do for sure. <laughs> yeah, each state has their own, and you know probably rightfully so because you know out here. You know, we have a lot of open land you, there. You know, you have a lot of forested land and yeah, you know, not as much cropland. And, you know, here out in Nebraska and Iowa, um, we have a lot of crops, you know, corn, soybeans is generally two, the two crops that most of them are growing around here. And mm -hmm. Yeah, the further you get west in the state, closer to the lake, um, it's fairly flat. And there is quite a few big dairy farms there where there's a lot of corn and whatnot, but, um, where I'm at, I'm butted up against the mountain and it's, um, I mean, there is cornfields around here. There's farms all over the state, but it's, yeah. it's not out in the Midwest where it's just all you can see is. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. The, most, most of our treat areas are, are along the, the rivers. Um, you know, if you get out in the, the plains, there's, there's just nothing but, but crops out there and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, get away from the Omaha Lincoln area, and there there are some spots where there's a lot of good trees around some lake rivers and lakes and stuff. But yeah, it's it's there's a lot of open farmland, mm -hmm. and you know that's you know a little different. And then when you get out in muleys, they're completely different. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, you know the whitetail they pattern. You know, you can sit one place, they're going to run a, a certain pattern, and uh, muleys they just roam all over. There's no specific place that they go they're just a roamer <laughs> yeah 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 they just roam around and, and you're pretty much there you have to uh, you know look for them and find them and then try and stock them and mm -hmm. you know, it's Spot not like you there. can it's not like you can sit and wait for them to come to you like you do the whitetails right right yeah <clears throat> yeah i haven't hunt muleys yet but there's no muleys around this part of the state i'm in the eastern part of nebraska there's that I know of, there's no muleys around it, just all whitetails. Mm -hmm. So I don't have the option to shoot a muley and right. A, a deer's deer. I want the meat. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I don't care whether I shoot a doe or a buck, you know. Uh right. I, I don't I don't pass up a doe because I wanted a buck. Um back when Nebraska we only had two tags. That was it. You could not get any more than two tags. And you know, I didn't really didn't do the rifle, I did mostly the archery. So I'd buy two archery tags and the first year that give me a shot, I'd take it. Yeah. So fine, buck, fine. 
And then I'd wait till December because ours went through December 31st. Now in December, I'd shoot whatever come by. Until then, after I shot my first year till December timeframe, I'd only hunt for bucks because I had meat in the freezer. You know, I only had yeah. two tags. And then come December, I'm going to fill with whatever deer comes by, you know, because yeah. I, I don't want to, you know, eat a tag. Those, those don't taste good. <laughs> right. Yeah. That doesn't, yeah, that doesn't do any good. Yeah. You know, and now they have the season choice tags and, and there's quite a few of those out there. And those allow you to hunt all the seasons before, you know, archery in Nebraska used to be, you know, September 15th until, you know, the, the first weekend or I think the, the second week of November is rifled. Then it shut down after rifle picked back up again, uh, all the way through the end of the year, muzzleloader was the month of December and they've changed it. So archery runs the whole time, separate September 1st, December 31st. Mm -hmm. You know, even during rifle season, you can be out there with your bow. You just yeah. have to wear the orange, yeah. you know, cause you're out there with the rifle hunter. So you don't want to right. be out there with, without orange on. Right. And, um, uh, there are a couple of places that I hunt that don't allow firearm for hunting. You can oh, do wow. shotgun for like birds, but you can't do rifle for deer. So you can yeah. still hunt during that time. You just wear your orange. Deer don't see the orange anyway. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's like no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, now then you have those season choice tags, which is good for archer to archer season, rifle to rifle season, muzzleloader to muzzleloader season. And yeah, you know, it, it runs the whole it's kind of weird in month of December is, is the muzzleloader season. Mm -hmm. They have to wear orange when they're out there, but I'm out there with my bow. I don't have to wear orange. Interesting. Huh. Uh, you know, parts of where I, I hunt, if they're muzzleloading, it'd be me muzzleloading because we're the only ones on the two private properties that we have. So there's mm -hmm. nobody else out there. But still, that, that seemed kind of strange how during the December the muzzleloaders are out there have to wear orange, but us bow hunters don't. But we're yeah, generally up on a tree. So I I can see that. But yeah, you know, that's I might I might have to ask them why they have that. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting, uh <laughs> interesting law, actually. The more to think about it. Um I, I remember one time they had a, a special rifle season during December. And hmm. I'm out there. You know, bow hunting, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing these cars driving by because where we're at, you know, there's a road there. And like, these are deer hunters driving around because you know they're driving around spotting for one and going to shoot the deer. Right. And, and I'm out there without orange on. You know, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so I started taking the orange vest and hanging it in the tree, you know, so at least they can see, see the orange yeah. vest, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know that there was yeah. somebody down there. So you do a lot of target shooting. Yeah. Um, tell some stories about, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the challenging, exciting, or some of your uh, 3D shoots that you've been on. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've traveled. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. I did so many. I've done, a, I've done a, you know, so many over the past few years. But um, I guess the probably like the most challenging shoot is really like Lancaster classic. And I, it's one of those ones where, and I'm sure a lot of people that have shot it kind of will understand what I'm saying. And maybe they, maybe they don't, I, I don't know, but um, or maybe they just got ice in their veins. I'm not sure, but <laughs> it's, it's the shoot that for some reason that I have the most trouble with. And I, 
I shoot so much 3D and I have rarely ever gotten nervous when I'm shooting 3D. It's um, it's almost relaxing, to be honest. Um, I can count on one hand how many times I've actually been nervous, like during a shot and, you know, like a target panic type situation. But yeah. you go to Lancaster and it's, there's so much on the line and, you know, there's so many people on the line and um, which I, I'm not afraid of like big crowds or anything. Uh, but for some reason, I don't ever, I haven't performed the way that I do in practice, you know, leading up to that. Cause I always, my practice has always um, been really, really good leading up to Lancaster. And I'm always like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with their scoring, but you know, like a 660 would be, you know, um, a X on the biggest spot every, you know, 60 shots. Um, and normally like last year, my practice was most of my rounds were between like 635 and um, high 640s, like 647-ish. So good enough to qualify anyways. And um, And then I get out there and I'm not, and it's not like I'm having, you know, target panic, but I'm just not performing. And I've, and I've learned over the past two years that, uh, and one of my friends actually told me this, um, he said, I'd rather have my bow shoot not great in practice and really good at a competition. And I, I learned that certain, the way that certain ways that you have a bow set up might shoot really good in practice, but it doesn't once, you know, your body is under stress and then, you know, your muscles are acting differently, your heart rate and yeah. your breathing and everything. And, um, and I have a bow right here that I, I shot this morning and it, it shoots so well here in practice, whether it's outdoors or indoors, but the second I bring it to a shoot, um, it just doesn't perform the same. And I've, I've learned, you know, about, um, holding weight and, stabilizer weight and then you know um trajectory of the stabilizer if you want your back bar down further you know uh so but yeah lancaster for some reason has just been a it's been a uh a wild one for me but um yeah i mean i i went um i think some of the most um i'm trying to think how to say this you know, obviously you get, you, you can go to like a local shoot and you don't really have that much competition, you know, per se. And then you go to a national yeah. shoot and there's quite a bit more competition. I think, you know, for sure, I realized that the competition is, there's so many more people at a national shoot than there is at a, you know, a, a local or a regional shoot that um, you really have to step up your game when you start going to those national shoots. And I did well this year going to those, but um, learned pretty quick, like, wow, this is, this is a lot different than uh, just doing the local New England or New England stuff, even which is still brings quite a few people, but nothing like a like a national event. I'm sorry if I got off on that question. I, I oh no, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Went off on a little tangent there, back and forth, but um, yeah, it, it, it's all good. Whatever you want to talk about is fine. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, as you listen to some of the podcasts, we get in all kinds of subjects. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could talk about I could talk about these 3D shoots pretty much all day long. <laughs> That's <laughs> I get pretty obsessed about about this and do a lot of a lot of training for it. You know, I shoot 
a ton getting ready for these. And it's, you know, I try to help other people out too, you know, um, that are getting started in it. And uh, yeah, luckily enough, I was able to do really well this year and, and um, you know, do some good, um, good quality shoots and, um, and win and yeah, achieve some cool things. So it was pretty fun this year. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, what's probably the most um, interesting person you met at a 3D shoot? Oh, boy. Um, I'm sure you met some characters. <laughs> I've met some characters for sure. Yes. Um, I could go a lot of different ways with this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've met some, I've met a lot of really good people. And, uh, I personally, when I get into a group, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy talking. I enjoy trying to get along with everybody. I don't want to, you know, talk your ear off the whole time, but I want to make it fun. I don't, I'm not, I'm not there to, I'm there to compete and beat you, but I'm not, I'm not there to not, you know, to hate on you or, you know, rule push everything on you and, and, you know, whatever, um, and luckily I've only had a couple people in the past few years that have been, um, you know, a pain in the butt really, but, um, I, you know, and I don't, I don't need to, you know, out them or anything, but, uh, and then, you know, there's definitely been some characters and whatnot, but I actually, uh, I met a guy this, this spring at the, uh, IBO national, the, the one in pipe stem, the first leg of the triple crown. And I actually just wrote a, uh, a blog about him, but um, he was one of the more interesting guys that I had met and just in terms of why he was there and what he was about. And, you know, sometimes you, you meet somebody in life and you don't know, you kind of drawn to them for one reason or another, and you don't know, you know, why. And um, I ended up, you know, working with him for the last few months, you know, teaching him everything I know, because I know when I had met him, he, you know, kind of said that he was, you know, he was new and he was really doing, you know, IBO for, um, to become a better deer hunter. But he was like, I guess I saw a lot of me, you know, um, when I was looking at him, like the, he was really into it. He was obsessed. He wanted to get better. And, um, he had asked other people and wasn't getting the responses that, you know, he wanted. And I know, over the past few years, I've, I've talked to a lot of good people and I've gotten a lot of good um, information and help from people. And uh, there's some people out there that just don't want to, you know, give up that valuable information. And I just decided, you know, with this guy in particular, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to give him everything that I would have wanted, you know, and wanted when I was in his spot, right. where I was new, you know, um, but he was probably the most interesting guy, a Marine and not the stereotypical Marine, no offense to any Marines listening, but not the stereotypical Marine that you would expect. Um, probably the, one of the nicest people you could, you could imagine meeting. And, uh, but yeah, he was, he was one of the more interesting people I met, um, you know, hunted all over the Midwest, uh, family man, you know, did some boxing, did some, uh, jujitsu, you know, loved deer hunting, loved the, uh, um, the art of, you know, 3d and, and the science behind it and everything that goes into, you know, judging distance and, um, you know, 
I guess you could say nerds out on it. Like, like I do. And, uh, yeah. So, but. Yeah. It's always nice when you, um, you find somebody that's interested in, in what you're, you're doing and, and, you know, as an instructor, you know, my, my goal has always been, I want to make them a better shot than me. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, if I can teach them how to shoot better than me, yeah. I did my job you know, as an instructor. Now, competing yeah. against you, I don't want that to happen. But as an instructor, right. you know, I want you to do, yeah, just excel at what you're doing. And it's like, hey, you know, one of my students is here winning nationals or whatever, you know, so that's always yeah. a, a good feeling that you've taught them to do that. And, you know, yeah. not everybody can shoot at the top level. Right. That, that mean you can't teach him to get there right right yeah i know with with him he when i first shot with him it was just weird how we you know we got um grouped together for the first shoot and his score you know like if you shot par par for ibo you would shoot um you know a 400 so it'd be all tens across the board and i think his um his score was like 336 it was pretty it was pretty poor he missed a few targets. He was just really struggling with the whole aspect of judging distance and depth perception and whatnot. And, um, and I don't, by no means am I taking it, you know, all the credit or anything like that for his accomplishments, because it's, he's got to shoot the boat, not me. I just, right. I just gave him what, how I judge distance and how I do it. And then he implemented that into his game. We did a lot of, you know, uh, voice voice messaging back and forth videos i would show him what, how i do things and then uh he went to worlds and he missed the uh he missed the cut um to go into the shoot off by a couple points and he was the bubble guy so he was the next guy out which was so he was like really ecstatic about how he did and i and i was way more ecstatic about you know that than i was on all the the wins that I had this year and I won a national event even. And I was, I was so pumped for him. I'm like, Oh my God, this is awesome. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of goes what to you just said with the whole, you want them to do better than you almost, you know? Yeah. yeah but. So uh, out of all the archers you've talked to, what is the best tip that somebody gave you? Oh boy. Um, I got to think about that one. Um, Put you on the spot on that one, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm just trying to think of all the people that I've talked to. I've talked to a lot of people, um, a lot of different pros. Uh, I would say there's, I would say there's two, uh, there's two things that I got from, from two uh two different archers one i already said it but he's you know one of the top archers in the country really you know uh that's isaac sullivan he's beat you know he beat chris shaft and or nationals he's done a lot of you know good things and and he was the one that told me um you know because i shot with him a lot indoors and uh and he said i'd rather have my bow shoot not great you know, in practice, and I'd rather have it shoot a lot better in competition and don't be so critical on how it shoots when you're practicing until you see how it reacts when you're in a competition. And that, and that's when I really started like diving into the whole 
holding weight, um, stabilizer weights, and really figuring out which, you know, how my bow is going to react in a competition. And I have, you know, I have one bow that um, I shoot, you know, when I'm getting ready for a competition, I'll shoot uh, three times a day, you know, before work, at work, at lunchtime, and then when I get home at night. And I will be, I don't have a lot of hair, but I will be wanting to pull my hair out with the way that it shoots when I'm practicing. I'm like, I just don't, I can't hit what I'm aiming at. And I get so critical on, on missing, you know, an inch this way or an inch that way, you know, out, you know, I'm shooting 45 yards, 50 yards. And I'm like, why is it? And then I go to a competition and it's just shoots lights out for me. And I'm like, this is what he's talking about. It's just not putting so much emphasis into the way it shoots when you're in practice, just the way your body reacts. And then the other, the other tip was from a guy, um, I'll try to say his last name, but it probably won't even, I probably won't get it. And he'll probably, you know, bust my chops for it. But Rob Lelisher <laughs> said, um, if you want to know, if you want to know how your body's going to react when you shoot, um, you know, in a competition, run up a hill and have your bow with you. And when you get to the top of the hill, make a shot with your heart pounding like that. And I was like, okay. So I actually will, a lot of times I'll work out and then right from my, after my workout, I'll go out and I'll shoot you know, 30 to 60 arrows just to try to, you know, emulate that whole competitive nature where your body's just reacting differently. So I, I don't know if those are so much tips as they are just statements, but those are the only two things I can think of <laughs> at this time. So, well, there, there's always, you know, little, little tricks that you learn from uh, somebody else that's having you know, has had that problem or, or like that. That's two stories, you know, the two instances you talked about, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's always something to it because you go, you know, your body is tense differently. It, your yeah. bow's going to react differently. You know, it, you know, it's just like, you know, when I'm talking about, you know, how to grip your bow, mm -hmm. well, you don't actually grip the bow, you put it in your hand and right. those that like to hang on to it, you can't consistently hang on to it. I've seen people, their hand is turning white. They're gripping it yeah. so tight. It's yeah. like, what are you doing? Are you trying to strangle it or what? Yeah. Let go of yeah. it. And yeah. you know, if you don't put it in the right part of your hand, or if you're you're putting pressure in the wrong spot, you know, that acts all differently. Right. And when you're tense, you're gonna you're gonna be more tensed up. You're not gonna be able to relax. And you know, right. that that's always the hard part of getting up there and learning how to to relax. Um, you know, like yeah. you said, you know, run, work out, get that heart rate up and then try and relax, you know, like the, um, was it the, the guys that go to skiing and shooting the, the guns. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't really think of what that's called, but, uh, biathlon or biathlon. Yeah. 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 That's like a triathlon. It's like, no, that's three minutes. It's two minutes. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're going skiing and now they got to be very precise. So they got to drop that heart rate quick. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's something that we might need to look at too is you know get get some kind of a heart rate monitor on you and then do do you work out walk into it and then just monitor how long it gets back to what your normal heart rate is right. and right. you know if you're stressed you know if you're in a competition just just check your heart rate and say okay i'm up i gotta relax and then just learn yeah. a process to relax in the heart rate and uh, you know that might help might not it's just yeah. something that that we we got to work out it and you know yeah at those big events there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on and 
For sure. Um, you, you know, maybe the, the thing is you you shoot uh targets, you know, your 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 five spot or your single spot, you have the white ring. And that's how big your tar their target is because you got a steel plate around it. Yeah. So now yeah. you have to hit inside that steel plate of your wrecking arrow. Right. Well, make a little smaller one. Yeah. You know, or move back further. And right. now you got to be now, now next thing you know, you're at 40 yards shooting a, a, a two-inch circle. Yeah. And you have to hit that. So that brings up some some stress because every time Absolutely. you shoot, you're wrecking. You know, easily a ten dollar arrow because, like you, you're probably shooting. You know, your competition grade arrows. That's yeah. all I shoot is the comp competition ones, the the one thousand straight and the carbons. Yeah, and they're they're not cheap. You no, know, you I get think... a ten dollar arrow, you're going to lose if you miss. So that'll put extra pressure on you. And Absolutely. I've talked to some people that you know they have the kids make all the noise you want to do, just just whatever you want to do, just just have fun back there. Just don't run into me while I'm shooting. Right. Right, go back up there, and you make all kinds of noise. So you have to you tune out all that other noise, and yeah, and you know you you can get good at tuning out the background noise and just focus on on what you're doing. And you know, big event, it's probably more important because there's more people going on, more noise. Um, you know, one thing you, you could do in practice is just have something that makes noise in the background. Yeah. You know, not really music, but because you know, you know, there. Well, that could because that could get you. Okay, you got to ignore the yeah. music. Um, you know, uh, put something that you want to kind of move to, and and it's like, okay, yeah, I got to ignore that. And, yeah, or just have exactly. just just background noise, all kinds of just random noise going on in the background, and you know, mm -hmm. get to where you can tune it out, and you know, that's something you could do to try uh, to alleviate some of that tension in the big events, and you know, just kind of focus on you're in your own world, you got your lane. You're aware of the right. other ones. You're aware of the people on your right and your people on your left. But the, right. the person on your right, person on the left. You know, in a small adventure, you might, you know, be aware of two or three people on each side. And, and when you get up there, just just focus. You just got those two people on each side of you, or one person each side of that that is there that you're aware of. And you know, maybe that's that's something that somebody could try. You know, yeah. yeah if our sure. listeners try something like that, and it works. Hey, let me know. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I know. Um, I've thought of a, I've thought of a bunch of different things before I, I like getting ready for events. Um, um, I thought of like inviting a friend over and being like, Hey, let's put 20 bucks or 40 bucks down because then it, it that kind of raises, um, the want inside of you, you know, to right. put that, to put you in that state of mind where, um, this is more, like what it's actually going to be like when you're in that when you're in that spot right but yeah it's i don't know it's it's i know um a pro archer told me um you can't ever really it's always going to be there you can't really defeat it you just gotta you just gotta like learn to live with it and there is times where you get into this flow state per se where and I, you know, and I've experienced that a couple of times where it's just like, there's nothing, it, it wouldn't matter who I was shooting against. I don't think they could beat me type of thing. And, um, you know, that sounds kind of arrogant, but I'm sure there's a lot of archers out there that have felt like that at times where they, they get into this float state and it's just, nothing is bothering them. It doesn't matter what's going on in the background, anything. Um, but 
I have noticed even, even as relaxed as I am when I'm shooting 3d, it's still, um, it's still, you still think about those things like, oh man, this is a big event or, oh, I really want to hit, you know, I need to hit this bonus ring if I want to try to win today and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, yeah that, that's one of the things I've, I've talked to some other archers where they you know, the, the mental game is, is what's going to mess you up. You know, that you can't think about the next shot because you haven't done it. You can't think about the last shot because it's already done, can't change it. And, and the yeah. hard part is, is keeping that mental aspect to where this is the only shot that counts. For I don't sure. care what I did before. Did. And, and I don't, I don't want to know what my score is. Yeah. I don't care what the score is. Yeah. Because it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. You know, you know, like Kenny Rogers song, you know, you know, about counting your winnings when the gambling's done. Yeah. You, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what you have at the time. You know, no. it just matters what you're doing at that particular shot. You know, the only thing that exists is that one shot. There's nothing, nothing before and after. That's the hard part is, it's like, oh, I, I messed that last one up. It's like, okay, now I'm thinking I messed that one up. So what are you thinking? Yeah. You messed that one up. So what do you do? You got to right. mess that one up. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. You so, can't any better. That's, it's like uh, Cam Hain says, nobody cares. And that's the, nobody cares but you. And that's the biggest, that's probably the biggest piece of advice you could give somebody thinking about the mental side of it, because nobody does care but you, literally. You know, I'm the only one that cares how I'm doing. It's not like, it's not like one of the 3,000 other archers at the, at the shoot cares how I'm doing, you know, really at the end of the day. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's realizing that, you're the only you're the only one that you're competing against and that's that's it so right and, and you know you can think you know to help you in that thought it's like do i care how they're doing right i i don't care how they're shooting right you know it really doesn't matter you know if it's a friend of yours you, you know you kind of care for your friend but do you right. really care how much how how well they do or how bad they do because you right. can't control it only them yeah so look at what you're doing and you know focus on that one shot yeah for you know? sure it's like pulling a leg on a deer you only get one shot yeah you make a good one or you don't yeah it's one that's of those true. digital things it's either good or it's not yep and, and how do you come up and and you know one of the mental games that you can play on there is before it would start your your shot process however your shot press goes everybody has their own own way of doing it yeah and before you draw by you focus on the center of that X ring, you know, that, that little dot in there. Now mm -hmm. me, I can't see it, but <laughs> you yeah. know, I don't see it that well, but you focus on where you want that arrow to go the whole time. You're all focused on only on that arrow. You draw back, you go through your process. You're still focusing on the arrow. You, you start your shot press. You're focusing on arrow. The only thing you're doing is you're visualizing and focus on that arrow hitting that spot. And what's it going to do? Cause you're focused on it hitting that spot. It's going to hit that spot. spot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where if you think about, hey, um, that last one, I missed that last one. Yeah. I don't want to miss this one. So what did you just say? I'm going to miss this one because your mind sees, I don't want to miss this one. What did your mind right. hear? Miss this one. Right. So what's it going to do? Miss this one. Yeah. It's like law so, of attraction. Yeah. 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 Law of attraction. Yeah. yeah. It's it's what you're you're thinking about. It's what you're going to get. And I was, you know, I'll, I'll tell you someplace like, okay, don't think about the American flag. You know, yeah, don't think about think the about. American flag. Yeah. Don't think about the American. What do you think? What's in your mind? The American right. flag. 
I told exactly. you, don't think about it. And yeah. you're thinking about it. Right. So, um, you know, same thing, you know, look at it. It's okay. Arrows dead center in the X-ring, dead center in the X-ring. Arrows dead center in the X-ring. Arrows dead center in the X-ring. You know, you're thinking this all the way through. You're focused on the arrows dead center in the X-ring and then you shoot. So what did you train your mind to do? Hit the dead center of the X-ring. Absolutely. Yeah. And that that that's a, a big game. And I actually had a psychologist on. We talked about, you know, that kind of, you know, concept mm -hmm. in here. And and I know a while back, I, I interviewed a, a young lady that was, just killing it her attitude was just just perfect in that and you know we'll see her in olympics i think yeah. she was 14 or something mm -hmm. um she's a, i think she's in the group too so she may you may watch this i don't know but yeah you, you know there's there's i've talked to so many different people that you know a lot of that that mind game comes up for and, sure you know you can you can mess with somebody else's mind just by what you're saying to them absolutely you know, oh this target is is it, this this target is is hard. Nobody's going to be able to hit this one. What you put in their mind, this target is hard. Nobody's yeah. going to hit this one. But yeah. what you put in your mind, this target is hard. Nobody's going to exactly. hit one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't. You're going to sabotage yourself as well as somebody else. So you're better off just thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. Don't even worry about what they're doing. Yeah. Their mind game is going to mess with them. How are they doing? And you just focus on you just concentrating as you judge the yardage say okay this is the yardage this is what i'm going to do i'm going to put the arrow right here before you can get your time up you come up and now you've already prepared for that arrow hitting there you go there and you draw back and now what's in your mind hitting where you want it to go right and you know that's one of the things that i do you know when i'm you know i I, was, I i found out somebody is it shoots and i shoots a bow and i'll say you use a, a realistic wrist strap and is yeah, and it's a quit pulling the trigger. Well, how do you know I'm doing that? I've been teaching for many years. Quit yeah. doing it. Well, that's yeah. your first lesson for free. And yeah. you know what happens is index fingers a fine motor skill, moving it. And that's yeah. why you can you can move them kind of, but have one up. I can't do it and talk at the same time. You know, you have one up and then one out, and then that comes in and down and up, you know. Right. I can't do it and talk. <laughs> right you know, yeah the two fine motor skills aiming is a fine motor skill and yeah. so is pulling the trigger you yeah. can't do both so while mm -hmm. you're thinking about pulling the trigger because i'll tell them do that okay aim at that spot focus on that spot only if you break focus on it it's going to blow up and going to kill you you know make yeah. make it you know the, the, this is dangerous and now yeah. move that finger that without thinking about the finger and it's i can't yeah you know now those that say yeah, I can do it just fine. My 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 coach and them is done. Yeah. Because if they can't get that concept, we're done because I can't teach them anything. Yeah. But um, you know, then they do that because while you're thinking about pulling the trigger, what'd you stop doing? Stopped aiming, aiming. right? Yeah. So yeah. what are you going to hit? You're not aiming. You're just pointing in some general direction. You're not right. going to hit what you want to shoot. And, and and that was something I had. You know, I that's a concept I couldn't understand until I learned back tension release. I was like, well, how do you know where you're going? Because I, I grew up shooting firearms, you know. Yeah. I spent high school and rifle team. So I I I'm used to, you know, finger at the tip of the, you know, the trigger and the tip of your finger and and gently squeeze them because I don't have to worry about the aiming part because the rifle is, you know, my body is set so that the rifle is stable. All I just gotta yeah. do is gently squeeze the trigger. But you know, being being a a, a, a rifle shooter as well um you know there's there's a lot of things that we can do you know a little different you know i i don't need a steady stick because i use my hip and my arm 
you know, like like we do in, in competition. You know, you've got you don't have that yeah. arm up and out because that's too unstable. So that's how I shoot when I want moose hunting. That's how I shot my moose standing. Oh wow. <clears throat> you know, and it was about 300 yards away. You know, that's a whole wow. different story, but um that's cool. <laughs> you know, but that's that's just the way you know you do it. You know, now the only thing you have to do is squeeze the trigger. But in a bow, you have to actively aim. Yeah. And, and while you're actively aiming, you cannot pull the trigger. Yep. It's I've seen so many people, and I did it when I first started, but I don't do I can say proudly I do not punch the trigger anymore. But I see so many people, even on a national level, that punch the crap out of the trigger. And it's the way I look at it is there's only a few select people that can actually do that accurately all the time. But you'll even say, and I won't say their names, but you'll even see um, pro archers who punch the trigger and you'll see them get target panic and they, and they start almost get it. And then they don't, and they try to reset and trying to time it at the right time, or they use their thumb or whatever. But I don't do it because yeah, you can shoot really accurately that way for so many times, but when the pressure's on and, uh, your body is so used to shooting, you know, punching that trigger and being effective and efficient, you know, every three and a half seconds, the second, that's the, the first time that you go over that three and a half second mark, guess what happens? You come off the target and you punch the trigger because your body's telling you to punch and it's been too long and you miss the target. And I yeah. see people that all the time I saw it. This year at the third leg of the nationals, this kid, um, pretty good shot, punched the trigger. He was using a wrist strap and came up to a target and it was, a a cheetah leopard, whatever the IBO calls that target. And he shot it in the butt. And <laughs> I went, what? I was like, what happened? And oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm like, I didn't say it, but I'm thinking, well, I know, I know what happened because I've been there and I've done that before. And I know I, you know, it doesn't take a rocket science to rocket scientist to figure <laughs> out what you just did. You, you got some target yeah. panic and you punch that trigger instead of, you know, um, like you said, you can use a, a back tension release and, and activate the shot without, you know. And, and, and I, that's how I shoot my, uh, my wrist strap. It's mm -hmm. not a back tension style release. It's yep. got the little trigger on it. I have my hand held. Um, which they call a thumb release, which is yep. the worst way to fire is with your thumb because mm -hmm. your index is, has more dexterity than your thumb. Mm -hmm. So you want something that has good dexterity against something that has probably the worst dexterity on your hand and you're yeah. going to fire the trigger yeah. and you don't do them. In fact, um, in the last video, I went over a whole bunch of series and I showed a couple of videos of my shooting my, my wrist strap and my handheld. And, and if you watch the video, you don't see my finger move. No. You don't see my hand move. You just see the shot go off. Right. Yeah. You're activating it with your back. You're just yeah. pulling. Yeah. And but I do put the trigger clear up on the second second joint, the one yep. closest to the the hand. Uh, mm -hmm. I put it there. Just let it relax, and it, you know it goes off. And then the the other hand held. I put it right in the joint between my my index finger and my thumb. I don't have that knob on there. What what I need the knob for? Oh, that right. just forces you to put your hand off to the side. Yeah. You know, I put it in there. And, and actually, if I can make that in fire just by tightening my hand up. Yeah. You know, if I'm in a position where I, I've got to fire it, I can make a fist. But uh, that's not my my nature to do that. It's it's just, you know, pull through. Um, yeah. I can fire it that way if I had to. But, you know, 
I I don't because I can just pull through and make it go right. off anyway. But yeah. you know the the target panic you're talking about. You see the finger you know, kind of jerk, and when when I was first learning it, they kind of explained a little bit what's going on, and you know I've noticed that as well. What happens is your pen because you're watching your pen, not mm -hmm. the target. Your pen goes over the target where you want it to go. Your mind says, pull the trigger. You start pulling the trigger. The pin moves off. My says, don't, no, don't shoot. So right. it's shoot, don't shoot, shoot, don't shoot. Right. And if you're trying to pull the trigger, you're going to have that 100% of the time. Yeah. You want to look at the target, put the pin over it, let the pin float, and then just concentrate on, on where you want it to go and pull through, let it go off whenever you want. And yeah. I've, I've had people I, I take and, you know, teaching them, and we've got them, you know, fairly one-sided in. So I say, okay, you aim, keep your finger off the trigger. Yeah. I'm going to pull the trigger whenever I feel like pulling a trigger. Your job is to aim. Yeah. And you know what? Nine out of 10 times to hit the target. Yeah. But if they're pulling the trigger, they're not going to hit the target nine out of 10 times. That might be two or three out of, out of 10. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, the way I activate, I can shoot any release, but I, I use a thumb button primarily. I do carry a, um, a back tension release with me um and i can shoot both but um uh, i shoot everything just like a back tension i'm pulling through and um i guess you could say i'm not an aggressive style shooter but i am you will see me you know fall through quite a bit but um i like the way i shoot the the thumb button is the way that you're supposed to shoot the thumb button is and pulling and not punching and not only using your thumb but so I'm wrapping around and then using my back and just continuously pulling until it goes. So yeah. I don't actually know when the shot's going to break. I just, I'm just focused on um, having my pin in the area that I want it and, and not worrying about anything else until the shot breaks. And then, you know, cause the second I start trying to control it too much, then it's all over. Then I, it, then you start <laughs> nervous and then it, then you have to let down and then it's like, okay. So, but I know yeah, like Joel Turner does a, a really good course on um, how to, you know, how to fire a bow and, and um, getting over target panic. And um, that's, that's pretty helpful for people that have that issue. And I would suggest doing that or working with a, working with a coach to get over it. But, yeah. Because if you, if you have target panic, you're trying to pull the trigger. Yeah. You know, it, if you're not using the trigger to pull if you're just going through back tension, how are you going to have target panic? Because you don't know when it's going off. You don't know when to abort the shot. Right. You know, you're just going to go. And then if you let down, you know, that's the part, you know, like the handles, if not a beginner's release. Right. You know, the regular back tension hinges are definitely not a beginner's release. No. Because Punch you're going to, you're going to, a few times. <laughs> many times. Yeah. And, and even with the, the trigger style, the wrist straps. You know, I teach to put your finger behind the trigger, which sometimes can be difficult because it's already so short, but you cannot pull that trigger and you're drawn back. Um, uh, a buddy of mine, he smacked himself in the mouth when he went from fingers to, to release and smacked himself in the mouth. And I says, you pull the trigger when you're drawn. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not you such your fingers up there. You touch that trigger. It goes off and you smack yourself in the mouth most of the time. Yeah. And that's why I teach finger behind because it can't go off with the handheld and the hinges. There's no trigger to put your finger behind. You just got to make sure right. you keep it off. 
and the hinges right. uh, you know a few times i've shot those you got to really make sure you turn them forward you yeah. know because in your draw process because if you get part way back it's going to go off right and you know that's it's a whole different whole different game when you start going to those and you know, oh, sure. buy a good quality release don't Absolutely. buy the cheap ones no um, you know if you're just starting out and you're on a real tight budget you know maybe you can get by with a, a release that's that's not so good um but it's just going to hurt your technique yeah for sure that's you know spend the money you know spend the money quick quit buying the, the low end the cheapest release you can because yeah. you know the the two things that you need you need a good release and i i don't like my triggers to feel any movement i like them really really tight i have the carter chocolate addiction i have the hardest spring yep. in it i can put in it because it it doesn't go off my son has a, a carter but it was a lighter trigger i mm-hmm. can't shoot it because as soon as i go back and, and touch it it goes off i want to both put my i put my thumb on part of the metal part so i yeah. put a little pressure on that and then that that kind of tightens that pocket up around the 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 knob for the trigger mm-hmm. and then as i pull through it goes off um you know i have a another another release when i had my store uh, they wanted me to carry some of the releases um i think it was true fire and yep. i told the guy it's like okay if walmart carries it i won't i won't stock it yeah i didn't want it mashed it but it, it was one I, I give with all my bows you know the setup you know yeah. when i sold my bows you know, back when the nova was the, the the entry level bow and i'd sell the bow i put a release on it string dampeners on it half a dozen arrows you know because they all come with the quiver and tips the only thing you need is a case. Um, I didn't carry cases because Walnut sold them for five dollars more than I could buy them for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I didn't bother with them because they take up a lot of room. Um, but if you want a good quality one, then I'd order those in. So I that's how I sold on my bows as well as you know set up and I had instruction with them because I wanted a new archers to know how to shoot. And mm-hmm. you know that was just that cheap. At that time, I was paying like eleven or twelve dollars for the release and selling for twenty. I just yeah. included it in, in the price of the bow. It was a little bit higher than just a plain bow, but it yeah. had all this stuff on there. And you know, once they gets going, now they're coming in and and you know, let's get you a better release. Let's get you into something, you know, better quality and, and leave that as your backup when you're out hunting. Worst case, you can go back to one of those cheap ones later, and. Yeah you know, gets you into good release because that's just going to help your form. But, you know, starter out uh, package that never shot before, they're not going to know the advantage of the, the, you know, better quality releases until they've shot for a while. Yeah. You know, and then they say, okay, do I want to stay with the wrist draft? Do I want to go to the handheld? Do I want to go to, you know, what do I want to have? And, you know, I've got one that has the jaws on it, but I also have one that has the hook on it. My Scott yeah. has a hook on it uh, that I use as my, my, cold weather release i mm-hmm. like those because i can find the loop and hook it up i don't have to worry about opening jaws up and closing them on them yeah um, my my handheld my carter it locks the loop so it's just there find a string run down find it so i don't want to look at my loop when i hook it up so that's why i like yeah. those yeah yeah i have a i've ran a few different but um i have a b3 uh bg pro which is a really nice release um that's a back tension release and then i have a uh scott longhorn micro pro back tension release uh, also another one pretty heavy I, I like a heavy release and then i i run a stan um perfects and um 
thumb release and i i really like that one that one i'm pretty consistent with i would i shouldn't say pretty i'm con very consistent with the placement of my hand every time every time every time which can be a giant um accuracy killer if you're if you're using a release and your hand isn't the same exact you know um, position every time it can really affect your especially with a thumb button if your thumb is different on the trigger it can really affect it so but um yeah i don't really mess around with too many wrist strap releases anymore but i can if i i can still shoot them i have a couple actually in my closet right there but i just don't use them anymore yeah, I know, you know, get a good quality release. And I talked to the um, the president of uh, Trueball mm -hmm. and we looked at some of their releases and they've got some nice releases that their high-end releases are really nice, Absolutely. you know, right along with, uh, you know, the Scott and the Carters and the Stans, uh, you know, yep. the Trueball has, has got some really good, good products out there. And uh, they have my favorite release, the Fulcrum Flex. That's my favorite. Yeah. I just don't own it, but I will. I'm going to, I'm going to get one. But that's my favorite <laughs> so yeah yeah, yeah there, there's there's so many good ones out there and, and you, you know a lot of archers have a lot of different releases and mm -hmm. you know if you're going in there it's like yeah i don't know which release to get you, you know do you have some you know different ideas of what you get you know bring up your release and say Here, here's what's good about this one here's what's bad about this one um here's how it feels adjust it for them and you know i probably wouldn't do that the one i'm going to use tomorrow in my competition but yeah, you know, if you're like me, I have other ones that I would let them use. Yes, um, yeah. you know, here, try this and see what you think. You do you like the way this one feels? And and you know, some of your shops will have what they they have a little firing line that's and it's got a little yep. loop on it because you can you can try yep. the releases out. Um, you know, not a lot of weight, but you know, it's kind of weird uh, the thing kind of wants to pull back and twist up on you. Yeah. But you're you're just trying how the release feels, so you don't care anything else how does that release feel in the hand and right. go to your different shops and, and try them if they don't have one of those you know then you know you might have to see if they'll set up a bow for you shoot light poundage you know start with shoot shoot lighties they'll set the bow for um, yeah. you're not trying to see how much you can shoot um just just go up there and, and try them and you know if the shop don't have any you can try then um you might have to find a different shop or store now if you go to walmart you're not going to try up there you know no. that's not the place that's not the place to get quality uh equipment um, no yeah not even your arrows i don't i wouldn't even buy arrows from unless i'm going to use use them for just you know shooting pigeons off the barn doors or something you know yeah <laughs> something i don't care about but yeah it's you know there's all kinds of things you can deal with with straightness um and your arrows and release there, there's so many mm -hmm. things you can adjust and um you know if if you're not sure why you want to have those 1000s those competition grade arrows um just talk to anybody that shot the lower quality ones and you'll see the groups get tighter and tighter you know as you go on and i've done that too you know i had a friend of mine he was shooting and he was shooting i think with the beamons or something they were like a three thousandths and he was the same draw like that was, so he could shoot my arrows. And I said, said here, shoot some of these. It's amazing how much tight his group was shooting my arrows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, there were PSE arrows fetched with flutters, feathers, but they were 1,000 straightness instead of three. Yeah. And yeah, it, makes a, it makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. It does make a big difference. And, but you know what? What's your budget say? 
Yeah, that's all. That's something to consider too. I know when I'm building my arrows, well, I have some over there, but um, when I'm building my arrows and they're one, 1,000 straightness, I'll roll them on both ends to see if there's any wobble. And if there is, then I'll cut off. Sometimes my arrows actually, you know, the label won't be in the same spot on each arrow because I'm cutting off on one end or the other to, right. to adjust. But um, yeah, I mean, straight arrow is crucial, especially in the back end of it. So. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's so important on that. And then there's also in them, there's, there's always a seam someplace. Yeah. You know, some people try and find that seam and, and then when they flash them so that it's always down or up or wherever it's at, yeah. and, you know, or maybe put your, your cock feather right on that seam. You yeah. know, they go through all that. I don't because at hunting distance at 20 yards, it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> right. No, it doesn't. It only makes a difference when you're doing um it you'll see a big difference when you're out like you know past 40 yards 50 meters you know 50 right. yards like that that's when you're really gonna when you're really gonna see a difference um but well yeah there is two, some arrow i'm sorry go ahead yeah and then two there's a difference between you know whether you're using veins or feathers and what type of veins and you know how big your feathers are is, is how it acts at the longer ranges for sure um there's some arrow companies that have like victory um they're spine aligned so they actually have a like a digital line um on the actual shaft that shows you where to um where to fletch you know with your cock feather um whatnot which is pretty helpful i know i've used victories and um that's definitely helpful so you don't have to like knock tune to find out where your tear is and in, in the paper yeah. when on each you know keep turning your knock and find out what which way it shoots the best that can be a pain in the butt but yeah yeah there, there's there's a lot of uh, good things that some of these new arrow manufacturers are doing and for sure you know i'll be shooting my PSE arrows for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah i had uh well when i had the store and I was closing the store. I sold off all the, the fishing stuff, but mm -hmm. all the archery stuff, all the arrows. I kept all the Comp Pro 300s, which is what I shoot. I kept all those. Like, okay, I'm not going to sell those off. I want them. So I have plenty. I'm I'm not going to, you know, go through enough of them to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I did sell off all the rest of them or most all the rest of them. So, um, you know, I'm not going to be switching arrow manufacturers unless somebody's like, here, we want you to try these. You know, send right. me something to try. But other than that, I'm, you know, and I'm not asking, you know, manufacturers to send me anything to try out or anything. And, you know, if they do, fine. If not, yeah, that's not what I'm I'm doing this for. So, you know, I, I just I just shoot what I like to shoot. And they're they're a tough shaft. You know, the the ones I had uh, one time when I was at my store, um, I brought a broadhead target and get ready for hunting season. And after working all day. I probably shouldn't have been shooting, but I had my target down there and, and I shot and I missed and I stuck my broadhead in the concrete block wall. Oh boy. Uh, I still use that broadhead. Oh, wow. It did. It was a muzzy. It stuck. Yep. The, the broadhead was stuck in the concrete block wall and the arrow was laying down and the insert was cracked in half and the shaft was broke back about an inch. Yeah. After adding it stuck in a concrete block wall. And wow. I, I cut, you know, back past that. And, you know, my kid was using it, you know, because there he was, you know, like five, seven years old. And 
you know, yeah, not shooting any high poundage. So I just cut them back past the bad spot. There you go. Another arrow for you to shoot. Yeah. 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 There's some good arrows out there. Some good arrow manufacturers have shot quite a few different ones and um, they're all pretty comparable. They're all good. I mean, but well, I shouldn't say that there is some that I'm not a fan of. I'm not going to out them, but I, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. You know, back then, you know, I sold the gold tips and uh, a PSE shafts is what I had. Yep. You know, gold I stocked the shafts. I didn't stock fletched arrows because I had all the, the different color veins and different color feathers and, you know, different sizes. And you come mm -hmm. in and you, you pick your color, what's your color scheme you want? You know, you want green, you know, chartreuse and pink. You got chartreuse and pink. You know, right. if you wanted all black, you'd get all black, you know, all yeah. red or whatever. You know, pick your colors. Um, you know, that was that was the, the advantage, you know, coming in into to my store instead of somebody else's. You got to pick your your arrows, um, the, what color you want for them and how long we cut custom cut them all because I'll come full length and we mm -hmm. blew the inserts in and 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 go from there. And you know, it was just you know, everybody come in and what different colors and i had all the colors yeah yeah i'm i'm pretty much got almost all my veins are gone i gotta uh, i just find one strip of someone i had had together but i don't have any five inch feathers anymore because there is a, a traditional group that they use five inch on their their wood arrows and so i got rid of those i didn't use five inch i used four but i kept only four inch feathers and so i got lots of different colors and you know barred feathers shield cut parabolic yeah. cut and, and you know, I even that's one of my my sons. It's uh two yellow and a black barred feather. Yeah. Uh, this happens to be a gold tip. It looks like a wooden shaft. It's their tradition. Yeah. Tradition, uh a traditional, what does it say? Traditional. Yeah. And it looks like a wood, but it's a carbon. And I just need to refletch it because fletching is starting to come off a little bit. But you know, this little band on here, I would put the band on here, a fluorescent white tape. Yeah. Um wrap and those show up real good with a flashlight in the middle of the night. You can yes. see them laying underneath trees. Yes. Better than the luminots because the luminots, you know, if you catch something and it throws the luminox out, <laughs> you don't get to see your shaft anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, no batteries. Um, although yeah. I do have some luminox, they are really good, good knocks to use because they do light up real well. But that's how I do a lot of mine. I have it wrapped with this fluorescent wrap on here and i mm -hmm. they're normally they're they're twice as long as that i cut them in half because i don't need all that and yeah. i wanted to move it down below the fletching so that i can fletch i can cut this off and refletch i don't have to worry about messing the wrap up yeah because if i cut yep. this off the wrap is here i'm cutting through the, the wrap and now i have to put the fletching right back on the exact same spot and that ain't happening because i have um probably about 14 different jigs that I could use. Mm -hmm. I've, I have uh, eight bits and burgers, you know, left over from the store. And I've got you know, like a half a dozen of the, the BPEs, the little plastic ones. Mm -hmm. um, so getting them set the same. Yeah, no, that, that ain't going to happen. You know, right. you get them close. Yeah. But, you know, that's why, you know, I shoot them all and see how they're turning out. Um, you know, sometimes you'll get an arrow that will shoot great in the field tip. But will not shoot a broadhead. There's nothing you can do to get a line. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, there's something like that. Yep. 
don't know what it is and it's like okay it shoots field tips just fine put the field tip on that is that is a target arrow that's not a hunting arrow and and then i go through and i try and get so i can hit 20 yards i can hit the x ring with my broadheads yeah that's, i i tune them up so i can do that and, you know there's ways you can do that right yeah bear shaft tuning there's so many different ways to tune it's it's nuts but for sure yeah and I don't know if they still have them, but I had something called a U-bar. You'd put that on a rubber O-ring mm -hmm. and you put that on your, your broadhead and then rubber O-ring, and then you could tighten it down and loosen it up because as you take your, uh, on mine anyway, you take and line up the fletching. So you, you lay it down on the, on the, the table and you mm -hmm. line your broadhead up to be right there the same way. So they're, so they're lined up even with the broadhead. And then you'd start there and then you could take and you could tweak it a little bit tighter, a little bit looser, and you could actually direct where that broadhead is hitting. And, <laughs> and so I'd adjust it until I could get in that X-ring. And, and now that's tuned and I'd put a little mark on it. So I knew when it's always lined up, it had to be in this position because you could easily put them in any quiver, take them out and turn slightly. You know, yeah. it's not locked down tight. There's a little rubbery, you know, to keep them right down. So I'd put a little white mark on it. So I could always look, yep, that, those line up we're good to go and yeah it's uh, uh i had some seven thousand straightness psc arrows they come out what they call their hunter shaft oh my god which is basically basically the rejects from their six their three one three and six thousands right um but they were just they're still close enough six seven you know almost not really a whole lot of difference so i got those in and i said i'm going to try them so i ordered ordered some shafts in and, and i set them up and I'm shooting, and you know, normally I could keep my broadheads in the X ring, but those the best I could do is keep them in the in the the white. Oh wow, that's the best I could do with those arrows to keep them in that 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 was the difference between one and, and seven. And so when I wanted to start replacing some of them, I discovered see PSC goes one, two, three, and four for spine straightness, mm -hmm. and the higher the number, the stiffer the spine. Where a lot of them go the reverse direction. Yeah. Well, they sent them in 400 spine, which was heavier arrows. So oh. now when I'm trying to match my comp pros up to them, they're way light. I was like, what's going on? I discovered that. It's like, so now oh. that I'm putting, I'm putting weight tubes in my hunting arrows to bring the weight up the same, because I want to go to my bow and recite all the pins. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So they actually did it backwards than most yeah. arrow manufacturers. Okay. Yeah. Huh. That's yeah. They, they do by stiffness, the, the higher the number, the stiffer the spine where the other ones are going by deflection, I think, how much is deflecting, you know, hmm. a, a 100 spine is, you know, less deflection than a 200 spine, which is more deflection, right, you know, and those, I forget the distances, you weigh, you weigh a certain amount of weight and over a certain distance, and then how much it moves is the, the spine stiffness, and I, I've never heard about spines testing them, because I don't generally buy bulk uh, unknown spine, which arrows that I'd have to spine test, yeah but, mm -hmm. but you can easily you know look it up how to do it maybe someday i'll i'll figure it out and do a little class on it yeah <clears throat> there's just so much so much stuff that we could do on these and it's just you know, just endless amount of stuff that we can do with our bows oh yeah it's 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 crazy the amount of tuning that I do to, 
my target bows are it's you would be like why are you doing that but it you know it works out and to be perfectly honest my bow that shoots more act i have two target bows and one if i shot it through paper right now and showed you what it looked like through paper you would be like i don't want to shoot that and it shoots awesome um but it's just the way that i have it tuned it doesn't you know um there's certain like um there's some pro archers out there that will you know tell you like Paige pierce does a she put out like a 15 minute video about tuning and and that paper can kind of lie to you at you know in in the beginning stages of the tuning it's more less like a just a guide you know but um i bear shaft tune i walk back tune um uh, i adjust the first second and third axis i mean um i knock tune there's so many <laughs> so many different things and that's just for you know target but um for hunting i try not to do uh I try to just use mechanical broadheads. Otherwise it, it can become, as you know, a lot harder to tune with, uh, you know, like a muzzy and, and I love, I shot deer with muzzies and, or, you know, G fives or whatever, but, uh, it's just easier for me to just throw a mechanical on there. And I don't have to worry about that whole, you know, broadhead tuning portion. So, yeah, that, it it does it does affect it a little bit even a mechanical yeah but at the distance we're normally hunting yeah you're not going to notice a difference no so you can pretty much go with whatever you want and um yeah you know as the bows get faster and faster those fixed blades are getting harder and harder to control yeah you know, yeah. You know my uh, my my bow that I hunt with is rated at 320 feet per second but I think I'm probably getting about 280 yeah um you know, just because I have strength dampeners on it, I have a peep, I have a kisser button, you know, I, I have a, a loop on there. I have, I've put string dampeners uh, on all the cables, you know, right. quiet. Um, you know, I've got some other stuff on there and, you know, I'm not ever going to get that speed because I don't want that speed because, right. you know, I'm not shooting 70 pounds, 350 grain arrow, 30 inch draw length, one knock point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna ever shoot that, so I'll never get right. it. And you know, I can I can tune the broadheads in real real good at those kind of speeds. Uh, but you know, if you got to, trying to shoot it at you know 300 plus, they get really really tough to control because you have basically have wings in the front, wings in the back, and if you don't get them tuned perfectly, they're yeah. each one is going to be different. And yeah. you know, that's where going to the mechanical makes a lot of sense if you got those little faster bows. Uh, some yeah. of them are a little, little snappier right off the bat. Um, you know, you know, the harder cams, you know, they're going to develop that speed real quick, you know, mm -hmm. especially some of these new ones with the parallel, they only move like an inch. Yeah. You know, it might move a whole lot more than an inch. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I have a lot longer time to develop the speed and, you know, like you was talking about tears, I could take a perfectly tuned bow, shoot a perfect hole and I can make it tear. Yeah just yeah. by how I grip it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So lots of times the tear indicates your form, not how the yeah. bow set up. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so set your bow up right. Don't worry about the paper. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of guys. There's a guy down the road from me that's been, that been shooting 
forever. And he's, I think he's 80 years old now and he has a, he's a Matthews dealer and he, he doesn't paper tune any of the bows that he ships out of there. When, when you go in and buy a bow, he doesn't paper tune at all. He doesn't believe in it. And he's killed Boone and Crockett deer and um, won piles of competitions back in the day. Um, So it's, it can be, it can be a useful tool, but it can also um, be kind of irrelevant at the same time. And but the, I was going to say, you were talking about the speed thing there. Um, I've all the, I don't want to say all, almost every deer, including I've shot two bear, almost every deer that I've shot was 60 pound bow. And I had a pass through on everything. I've had one deer that I did one or two that I didn't have a pass through on. And that's 60 pounds. And that arrow is probably traveling around the 280 feet per second. So I, yeah. I know a lot of people that what, I want 75 pounds and I want to shoot 320 feet per second. I don't, I can't sit here and say that that's a bad idea or a good idea, but for me, I mean, the proofs in the pudding really, I mean, all the, I mean, right. I have two bucks on this wall in the room that I'm sitting in and they had a pass through on both of them and it was at 58 and a half pounds. So, you know, um, with a 400 grain arrow, so that's not going that fast, <laughs> you know, that's, and, and I don't know part of that could be the angle that I was shooting at or where the arrow entered and exit and whatever, but I've never put a lot of emphasis on the speed and, and even in, um, target archery, especially IBO where speed is King, you know, you want the, within reason, some classes have a speed limit, like the semi-pro and pro class. Um, but the classes below that, they don't have a speed limit and you could shoot 400 feet per second if you could get your bow to that speed without making it blow up but i have noticed in the testing that i've done that my bow shoots better um between 277 and like 290 feet per second and when it and like some people will say well my bow shoots perfect at 304 feet per second and yeah it probably does but there is a point where it becomes a little too critical and less um less accurate and definitely less forgiving the faster it gets you know um because i've shot 319 feet per second with my hunting bow just playing around and the forgivingness was not there the arrows were not as accurate as they would be when i'm shooting 280 so well and the the faster the bow the more it magnifies your mistakes in your form absolutely absolutely so if you have a little variation in your form it's going to be a bigger variation in, in where your arrows go yeah. So you got to you got to be careful what you're looking for and yeah, yeah. I know my first deer, I was 20 feet up in a tree, the trail was 40 yards away. I was shooting 52 pounds with a 2117 full length arrow 145 grain muzzy broadhead on it. Yeah. I shot that deer turned around and I think all but the fletching come through that deer at 52 wow. pounds. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a long shot, you know, and it did go very far and, and, you know, it, it piled up, but almost got a pass through at 52 pounds from 40 yards away with a big heavy arrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. You don't need a ton to really go through an animal like people think, but I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would argue that, but I just, I do what works for me and that 60 pound range works really good for killing animals. I know that. 
um and shoot yeah. target too i i mean i most of the stuff that i shoot for target is six uh, well my indoor bow is 58 and a half um and then my 3d bow is 65 so just a little bit extra holding weight without having to twist and um you know manip manipulate the cables to get a different feel but yeah i i know uh, uh i i was shoot i uh, worked up to 70 pounds and i was shooting 70 pounds and yeah. and when i drop it down to 60 i didn't shoot as well yeah i shot better at the 70 because there was it was more holding weight so i could actually pull into my form easier the bit lighter i didn't have that force i had to force back into my form and yeah. i actually shot better at 70 um you know when i'm I, when i'd shoot 300 rounds i'd still shoot 70 pounds because I, I shot the same bow you know that yeah. time i only had one bow but yeah uh, i'd find that towards the end i'm getting better and better as i'm shooting i'm getting tired but I'm getting better and better as I'm shooting. Yeah. It's like, you would think you're getting tired, you're getting worse, but no, I was actually kidding. You know, my scores would seem to be higher in the second half than the first half. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people will shoot better with more holding weight. I'm, some people don't, but I know I like a little bit more holding weight um, in competition for sure. It helps me. So, you know, if I'm practicing at home, I don't, I don't want to hold all that weight. I know that. Cause I can, yeah. I can make the bow do whatever I want when, you know, when I'm here, but, um, in competition, I do like a little bit more holding weight. So. Kind of force you to lock into that form a little bit more, a little bit harder into the form. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And make, making you pull, you know, making you pull through the shot instead of yeah, you know, lazy, but. Yeah. It could be lazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, that it it's been really great talking with you. I know yeah, we've been absolutely. on here for for a little while, and uh, yeah. uh, we don't want to take out the rest of your day and and get back to doing what you're doing, get, do some more shooting, and yeah, but it's been yeah, it's been really great. Enjoy talking with you, and and I'm sure yeah, my I, listeners ha, are, are going to enjoy hearing some of your stories as well. And and it, it's always always a good time talking with archers. You know, I, I, I get to do this and talk to archers all over the world. And it's, it's just so much fun, you know, hearing all these different stories and. Oh uh, yeah. I, 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 I love this. I love archery. I love the, everything about it. I love going to all these competitions and competing. And I, I pour my heart and soul into it to, you know, to do well. And, and, and I've done pretty well doing it the, you know, the past couple of years, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of, you know, I talk to so many people trying to get um, information and, and, you know, try to make myself a better shooter. And it's like constant learning game. You're constantly talking to somebody and something new. It's like, yeah, it is. you know, <laughs> I, I go to, you know, I, I go to a shoot and I, and I'll win and I'm like, oh man, I'm awesome. And then I, I talk to somebody, I learned something new and I'm like, oh my God, why didn't I know that? Now I have to try that or I have to, you know, implement this into the game or whatever. And it's, but, yeah. Yeah. You, you can get yourself really confused by, you know, trying to, okay, they're doing this. I'm going to try that. And I'm going to try that. Yeah. Next thing you know, it's like, uh, what am I doing? I'm getting worse and worse because nothing's, nothing's yeah. really making any better. And then you go back to what you're doing and, and yeah, you know, if it makes sense and it's like, you know, this, I think this could improve, you know, and try it out, give it a try. And, you know, if it does, then keep doing it. If it doesn't, then try something different. 
Yeah, for sure. Yep. So what uh, what kind of advice would you give somebody that is, is uh, you know, maybe just starting out and, you know, what what to to do, you know, starting out, maybe they want to start getting in competition, you know, what would you advise them to do? Uh, get a nice quality bow, uh, make sure that you have quality equipment to start with, if you can, you know, within within reason. Um, there's plenty of places that you can buy used equipment and, you know, like on Facebook and whatnot, but, um, that's the big, you know, that's a big thing for me is, is having quality equipment that feels right for you. Um, and then trying to link up with there, there is a lot of good people in this game, you know, and linking up with, um, and there's plenty of pros that will talk to you if you ask them, you know, and they'll even shoot with you as well. Um, you know, linking up with people, good people in the industry and, and learning from them and, or even getting an archery coach too. Um, but you know, that would be one thing. And then the other thing is, um, it's, you know, persistence and, and, um, commitment, you know, uh, and I'm at times, you know, I don't like to, I don't like to talk, I don't like to try to talk myself up, but it, it's like the only reason that I'm ever successful and I, and that I win, um, is because of the commitment that I make. I mean, I literally, when I'm getting ready for a shoot, I shoot three times a day. A lot of people don't want to do that. I'd, I'll be up at five in the morning and I'm, I'm working out, uh, trying to, you know, strengthen your mind mentally. And then, you know, I go out and I shoot. And then on lunch, it's like, a, it's a, it's a total commitment. If you really want to take it seriously and, and, and be successful, you got to be committed and you have to pour everything you want into it and you'll get back everything that you want. And if you don't, then you're not going to get back what you want. It's as simple as that. I, and that's the best advice that I could give somebody is if you want it, then you can have it. You just got to go out there and, and give it everything you got to get it and, and link up with the right people and have some good equipment at the, you know, at the same time. So. Yeah, that that's, that's good advice. You know, if you really want something, you got to put the work in and that's, that's the thing you got to do, put the work in it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, get with a group, you know, of people. And, you know, one thing about the Arch Talk 101 Facebook group is you know, we have a lot of people in here uh, mm -hmm. that, that have experience in different stuff. And if you're having a problem, you know, somebody else has probably seen it. You know, if you have one of those brand new bows and you're having a problem with it, you know, get in a group. There's probably somebody else that has experience with that bow or a lot of stuff is just generic stuff. So get in a group like that or join your local archery club. Um, yeah. Or, you know, I, I go to some of the shoots and talk to the guys and, and the ladies yeah. there. There's, there's, you know, it's not just guys. It. There's a lot of ladies that are really good shots. Absolutely. And, you know, they have a different perspective on it. And, and, yep. you know, you know, I say guys in re general, you know, it's like yeah. archer guys, you know, archer yeah. people, <laughs> archers, yeah. you know, yeah, uh, exactly. you know, there, there's, there's a lot of stuff in here that they can really, really help you. And I know like here in Nebraska, we have our gaming parks has, has um, ranges you can go to and they actually have people that it, it's teaching archery and, and, you know, just get with your, you know, whatever your uh, gaming parks or your DNR or whatever you have, find out mm -hmm. what programs they have. I know Nebraska yeah. has a women's in the outdoor, which is just ladies, you know, getting them outdoors. 
And, and there's other events going on too. There's stuff for kids. There's there's all kinds of stuff. You know, there if you want to get involved in a sport that has been around for um, over sixty thousand years, yeah, uh, yeah, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Right. Uh, there's all kinds of aspects from from the longbow shooting, longbows to recurves to Olympic bows. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's there's different ones in there. They can shoot in the compounds, the crossbows. You know, that's all archery. Um, you know, I I say many times that my definition of archery is a stick with a string flinging another stick. Yeah. So yeah, if that fits in that category, then it's archery. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's no wrong archery weapon for you. Um, I interviewed one of the guys that does the horseback archery. Yeah. And you know, that's interesting. Riding a horse, controlling it with your knees, shooting bows at full gallop yeah. at targets. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. That is a challenge in itself. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they hold them differently. They instead of being a right-hander, instead of being on the left side of the bow, it's on the right side of the bow. Yeah. And and they're using like a thumb release because as they're drawn back, it pulls it onto the bow. Where mm -hmm. a right-hander is going to pull it off the bow. Yeah. Yep. You know, as you draw back, yeah. and that's why they teach a lot of kids put your three fingers below because what you have to do is you pinch the arrow, and as you make a fist pulling it back. It pulls the arrow off. Well, yeah. if you do that on the other side, it stays on. So they can they don't have to worry about keeping the arrow. Just their process of drawing forces it into their hand and onto the bow. I so, believe that's where you you flick you flick the thumb to activate it, right? Is uh because you're pulling into the you're pulling the, the shaft against the side of the riser. Yeah, there's Is, there's a little thumb release that has basically a little hook on your thumb yeah. that you're pulling back with. And then I'm not sure exactly. I've I've seen them. I haven't ever had a chance to use one yet. Yeah. But they're they're a little bit different because they fasten on your thumb somehow, and that's how mm -hmm. you're doing it. And, yeah, and, that's an interesting. That's an interesting way to do archery. But I guess there's <laughs> there's so many different ways. But yeah. Um, yeah. And then you see the Japanese style bows that are really long, and they actually draw way back. Yeah. You know, it's back past their head. It's like, okay, don't get too close. You take your ear off. But yeah. the way they do it is clear back there. And then, then you have some of these bows that look like a, a, a C that's almost closed. But when you draw it back, it goes the other, you know, reverse back direction. Yeah. And, and there's just so many different styles of bows. And they each have their own way of shooting and, and their own following. And, you know, yeah. just find a bow, you know, just get an old stick, tie a string on it. And, and yeah. there you go. There's your bow. Yeah. The only thing to remember is do not dry fire. <laughs> right. Yep. Don't dry fire a bow. That's yeah. that can be bad. And, and and if there's anybody listening, don't want to dry fire that's pulling your you know, loading your arrow up or your bow up with no arrow and let go of the string. That is not going to be good on anything, especially crossbows. Yeah. You will blow up a crossbow if you dry fire Absolutely. a crossbow. Yeah. There's so much force in those. And you know. You can get by with it once in a while on a compound. Some bows, some bow manufacturers, we, you do not dry fire them at all. No. And I know I, I had people come in and act, their, their bow is, you know, it's obviously something that happens so it come off the string. Not some dry fire will do that. Uh, also, drawing back with your fingers and letting down when you're gripping your bow. And when you make a grip, it actually torques the bow to the side mm -hmm. and you let down and you actually derail it and letting down. Because it doesn't follow the cams, you know, it just yep. slides off. And you know, I've had some come in where the axle is bent. Yeah, 
the axle is a hardened steel pin that sticks in there. How do you bend a hardened steel pin on a bow? Dry fire. Know. Yeah. Dry fire is the only way to bend them. Yeah. You're not going to bend another other way to bend them. Yeah. Because you got to dry fire. And people come in and I'll, I'll ask, would you dry fire it? You know, because there's obviously problems. Oh, right. no, I didn't dry fire. Like, so I tell them, it's like, okay, if it was dry fired and there's a defect in a limb and I don't find it, it could blow up on you and it pieces come flying back at you. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, I, I dry fired it. Okay, now then I go through <laughs> and do the extra check to make sure that there's no cracks and, you yeah. know, put alcohol on the limbs and run a cotton ball on it. And if it catches, you know, you can see, you know, you can say, okay, there's a defect in this limb. We need to get a new limb. But yeah. if you don't do that, it'll break. When they figure out, it's like, okay, I don't want to admit I dry fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, no, no, it wasn't dry fired. You know, how did the string come off? Yeah, I just shot it. Uh, no, you shot it with no arrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, or you let down, you know, no, it come off when I was letting down. And right. it's like, okay, you were gripping the bow. Yep, that's why it come off. You know, then you can help them through some of the problems with that. But Yeah, that's you know. a... That can definitely happen. There's certain manufacturers that it can happen with a lot easier than others, but with, you know, with that whole, the whole torquing um, part of it. But yeah, that's, I've seen that a lot being, I've even been in a shop and somebody brought in their bow and they brought it in the case and they said, oh, my bow, um, the, the string, string came off. I don't know what happened. I didn't even use it. And they like open up the case and I'm like, yeah, you're the 30,000th person that has had their bow blow up in their case yeah randomly no it's because you drove dry fired it <laughs> but yeah. you know i actually had one guy come in one time and says is it normal for your strings to break you know in the case over the uh, over the summertime yeah open up the case there's a broadhead oh, exposed boy. in the lid I'm like yeah every time you put a broadhead in it and close the case yeah it's going to touch the string you touch a string of the broadhead, it's razor sharp, and it's going to snap that string. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess you're buying new strings. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Now, in my hunting bow, I have my broadheads in my case, but they're mm -hmm. in the quiver. Yeah. You know, yep. I stick them in there. I don't worry about the strings breaking because the broadheads are all covered. Yeah. 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 Same with mine. They're all in the <laughs> all in the quiver. So, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's been great talking with you. I think we'll yeah, let you go and so we can get off going doing other things. So I know we could talk about this for, for quite a while, but yeah, yep. I'm sure we both have other things to do today. Absolutely. So yeah, stay tuned for the next one. We have we have another interview coming up. Um that is not even the United States. So stay tuned. We'll 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 get together again in a few more days and we'll We'll talk to another archer and have a lot of fun talking with them. So my name is Rory Canterbury, and I've been your host today on Archer Talk 101 with our special guest, Caleb Tucker. And we will see everybody on the next one.